IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. It's time for the NTT IndyCar Series drivers and teams to hit the road after the long summer break for the Olympics is concluded. It's off to Nashville, Tennessee, site of this weekend's Big Machine Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville. It has the makings of becoming one of the biggest parties of the motorsports year as the weekend-long festival includes races and major concerts featuring some of the biggest names in the Nashville music industry each day. The response to the event has been so strong by the local community that all 60,000 tickets for the event have been sold. From a racing perspective, the 2.17-mile-long street course includes Nissan Stadium, home of the NFL's Tennessee Titans, and over the Korean War Veterans Memorial Bridge into downtown Nashville. The bridge crosses the Cumberland River. It's a 1,660-foot clear-span arch structure that was completed in 2004 and serves as the city's gateway for more than 17,000 drivers each day. But this weekend, the bridge is closed. It'll only be used by the high-speed action that will take place on the streets of Nashville, highlighted by the NTT IndyCar Series drivers and teams. Our guest this week is one of the greatest drivers of his generation. It's Captain America, Ryan Hunter Ray. The Andretti Autosport driver has 18 career victories, including the 2014 Indianapolis 500. Hunter Ray also won the 2012 NTT IndyCar Series Championship. Unfortunately for Hunter Ray, he is having a difficult season and enters the weekend 17th in points, 239 points behind the leader, Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing. Despite the disappointing season, Hunter Ray remains one of the most accomplished drivers in the series and has had an outstanding career. Here's my interview with Hunter Ray from his home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as he prepares to hit the streets of Nashville this weekend. Joining us today on Pit Pass Indy is a driver known as Captain America. It's Ryan Hunter Ray of Andretti Autosport, the 2012 NTT IndyCar Series champion and the 2014 Indianapolis 500 winner. Ryan, it's hard to believe, but you are in your 18th season in the IndyCar Series, dating all the way back to the beginning of your career with American Spirit Team Johansson in the Champ Car World Series in 2003. Ryan, I've got to ask you, does it really seem like it's been that long? <laughs> when you're having fun, time flies, and uh, that's that's how it's gone. But yeah, very obviously, very thankful I have a long, successful career. And um, yeah, it it at sometimes it feels like it was long ago, and then other times, um, you know, it feels like it just flew by. A lot has changed since you became Captain America. 
At the time you won the 2012 IndyCar Series Championship and the 2014 Indianapolis 500, it was big news that a driver from the United States had won those prestigious titles because there weren't a lot of drivers from this country in IndyCar at that time. Now there are a lot of great young American drivers in the IndyCar Series with Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi, and two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske. Do you believe you helped inspire the great American revolution that is going on now in IndyCar? Uh, well, you're right. I mean, when I first got into Champ Car, you know, there are very few Americans. And, uh, you know, especially as as I continued on and success grew, yeah, there were, there were, there were few Americans. And I was very proud to, uh, you know, obviously uh, represent America. That's how I kind of grew up was watching all the American greats uh, winning and, and competing against the best in the world. Uh, and it's certainly it's great to see that that strength uh, in numbers now uh, for the U.S. drivers. So, um, yeah, very proud of it all. And I, I'd, I'd like to think I had something to do with it. But to be honest with you, I, I'm just uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I that I could, um, you know, represent the U.S. so well against, uh, you know, the best from around the world. The Olympics in Tokyo are going on right now, and it's time for a lot of patriotism, whether you were from the United States or another country. So it's a perfect time to talk to someone known as Captain America. Is that a title that you enjoyed having at the time and still enjoy today? <laughs> no, I mean, I loved it. I mean, every time I got on the podium, every time the top step of the podium, you know, I made sure that I had that American flag raised high behind me. That's what I was proud of. That's what um no, it's, it, it, it's, uh, I, I, like I said, um, I take a lot of pride in that and I'm, uh, um, I'm really pleased that, that, that's, uh, that's been, been my nickname. Your victory in the 2014 Indianapolis 500 was one of the most exciting and thrilling Indy 500s in history. It was a battle for the ages against Elio Castroneves as you both fought to the very end, making some extremely bold and risky moves in the final seven laps. That stands as the greatest victory of your career. What do you remember about that day? Oh, yeah. I remember like it was yesterday. One of the coolest moments of my career, no doubt. You know, uh, won that race. Like you said, it was a nail-biter. It was like a sudden death uh, overtime with Elio, seven laps to go, passing every lap inside, around the outside. And, uh, yeah, when it was all said and done, like I said about that American flag, I got that thing out on the front stretch. And, uh, you know, and I told the fans how, um, you know, grew up a proud American boy and that this was my dream. And Yeah, something I'll absolutely remember forever. I'd love to do it again. Ironically, for a driver who would be known as Captain America later in your career, going all the way back to the beginning of your IndyCar career, you raced for a team called American Spirit Racing that was owned in part by Stefan Johansson in the Champ Car Series in 2003. What do you recall about your first season in big-time racing 18 years ago? I just remember it coming together as a startup team, uh, you know, funded by uh, some great people um, who, you know, are really American success stories, part of the American dream. And uh, they loved, they loved IndyCar racing, loved Champ Car, and wanted to get behind it. And um, next thing I knew, things were coming together and uh, we were, we were going to drive, you know, some, some Reynards that we had leased from, uh, from Forsyth. And obviously Lola was the, was the, the hot ticket, the Lola chassis, but, we knew that the Reynard had some bright spots to it left and that, um, you know, at some of the natural terrain road courses, it could shine. And, uh, it certainly did. We had, a, we had a great time, just a uh, phenomenal. And Jimmy Vassar being my teammate, you know, a guy that I always looked up to 
as I was growing up, you know, when he won the championship with, with uh, Ganassi and everything else. So to have him as my teammate and to really build that being my foundation, um, you know, was absolutely priceless. The last race of the 2003 Champ Car World Series season was in Queensland, Australia at Surfer's Paradise. You started 12th and won the race. Every driver dreams of winning their first IndyCar race. What was it like for you when you achieved that dream? Yeah, I mean, I look back back on it. I had one year of Atlantics and straight into Champ Car, and, uh, you know, those cars were, what, almost 900 horsepower at the time, and um, it was it was a downpour at Surfer's Paradise. Uh, and just through the day, it was really tough to keep the car under you. And it, it was ups and downs arounds. I mean, it was a, it was a wild race. Um, even I think a red flag at one point, I haven't seen there in, in, in my career. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a, a phenomenal day and, um, getting that first win was huge. And then going out the next year and, and winning at Milwaukee. In 2004, you moved over to Keith Wiggins' racing team, and your win at the Milwaukee Mile that year was one of the more dominant wins in the history of that track. You won the pole and led all 250 laps in a 250-lap race. I believe it was the first time they held an IndyCar race at the Milwaukee Mile at night. How dominant was your car that night? Yeah, I think it was the first, and uh, it was pretty cold that night. You know, we were a little bit concerned about tire temps and things like that something that you know as as a sophomore i had to be careful of but um you know we, we were on the pole i knew the car was really hooked up in qualifying trim and, and once i got into about 10 20 laps in the race i knew the thing was um really hooked up and i i knew it was kind of my race to lose so uh but yeah leading 250 even through all t- the the pit cycles is pretty special because you have to have a pretty big lead in order to lead through pit cycles yeah i think we lapped up to uh third place so it was it was a phenomenal memory and, and really gave me a lot of confidence in my, my oval capabilities, my oval racing capabilities, especially short oval. What was it that brought you over to Keith Wiggins' race team? Um, you know, at the time, I think he saw some of the speed I had finishing third at Mid-Ohio at Ordez and, um, you know, they, with American Spirit. They saw I finished third at Mid-Ohio. I, was, um, I, I showed really flashes of, of what was some potential there, re- real potential to move on into a, a bigger team the next year. And, um, uh, yeah, the opportunity came with their dads. I met the, the backers obviously. Um, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, especially I could say the Mexican races were, were out of control fun, but, uh, to have that win, you know, the teams, the teams only win that year was, was really great. And, and to do it in that fashion was, uh, something I'm really proud of. The next year, you went over to Paul Genelosi's team. There were a lot of high hopes and expectations for you, but that ended up being a disappointing season as you were only in the car for the first 11 races in a 13-race season without coming close to a victory. What happened that season? Well, in the, it, you know, towards the end of 04, especially after my Milwaukee win, I started getting interest from, um, from teams in the IRL uh, in the Indy Racing League, uh, some real interest. And, um, you know, Champ Car was really holding on. The war was still fully on between Champ Car and IRL. And Champ Car really wanted to keep me there. Um, you know, they wanted to keep me in that series and not let me go to, uh, to the IRL. And as soon as things got really hot, um, you know, the owners of Champ Car, and including Genelosi, said, hey, you're going to stay here. We're going we're gonna to put you in a seat. And uh, that's that. And, um, you know, at the time, that was my... my guaranteed deal so i took it and as we got into the 05 season it was just basically a placeholder um it was uh yeah it was a, it was a bit of a hollow uh effort situation that um 
I learned a lot from, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't find my way back into a, into a single seater Indy car for what almost two years. Didn't you have an opportunity to get a ride with Chip Ganassi Racing at that time? Yeah, that was one of the potential opportunities that I was uh, that I was referring to that that really got the attention of um, Champ Car. In 2007, when Bobby Rahal calls you up and needs a driver to replace his previous driver that was driving the ethanol car, they wanted a young American driver, and at that time you probably thought you were down but maybe not out. How important was it to get that call after Team Rahal to replace Jeff Simmons as a driver of the ethanol car? I knew I wasn't out. I, I just knew I needed the opportunity, and that's what I told Scott Remke and Bobby Ray Hall when I would, you know, when I would visit some of the races um, looking for an opportunity. I said, "Hey, if you need somebody to jump in in a hurry and get the job done, uh, I'm your guy." And uh, lo and behold, the, the phone ended up ringing one day, and they said, "Hey, can you get to Columbus?" And I said, "Yeah, right now. I'll head to the airport right now." And um, the rest is history. And that was that was yeah, amazing opportunity for me to get back in it, and uh, it was a really big boost for Ray Hall uh, Letterman racing at the time as well um you know we had a really strong effort to the remainder of the 07 season rookie of the year and then going on to win in 08 which was uh which was a big win for the team and myself what do you recall about that mid-ohio race in 2007 you started 10th finished seventh from what i recall you didn't know you were in the car until a couple of days before the race yeah i just remember um you know just so excited for the opportunity and I think Bobby told me, Hey, uh, you know, David Letterman's going to come in and meet you. And it was, it was just all, you know, it was all at once. I had been, uh, not idle, but I had been jumping around racing different sports cars and trying to, you know, I'd been doing the NASCAR development GM driver development system and just kind of hopping around everywhere. And, uh, you know, for that opportunity to come up, I knew I was going to grab it and hold on to it pretty tight. And then the crowning moment with that team came at Watkins Glen in 2008 when you started third, won the race. That was a big day. Uh, being there myself, remembering that, I remember what a huge day it was for you, not only because you had won the race. At that time, you'd signed a personal services contract with IZOD, and they were about to unveil a 30-story tall billboard of you on Monday in Times Square. I guess you really had great timing that weekend to be able to win the race the day before they unveiled that billboard in Times Square. Yeah, timing was everything on that. Uh, absolutely right. You know, it was July 4th weekend. We won the race, and uh, IZOD, even before the race, you know, Mike Kelly, who's the CMO at IZOD at TVH, he said, you know, this guy, he's the next one. He's, he's going to win this side and the other. And we went out and won, and then we went straight to New York from, from you know, we went straight to Manhattan from uh, Watkins Glen and unveiled that massive, uh, you know, banner in Times Square. Um, and it actually said, I am next on it because it had been put put up there prior to the race. And they went up and they put up, you know, huge forklift or whatever, t some type of um, scissor lift up there and uh, uh, got up there and changed, crossed out next and put now. It's pretty pretty cool moment. With all the high hopes and anticipation in 2008, the next year you switched teams. You began the season with Vision Racing, and then midway through you moved over to AJ Foyt Racing, beginning with Iowa. What was it that made the 2009 season so different from the path that you appeared to be on? Yeah, we had every intention. Uh, Ray Hall and myself, you know, the team uh, had every intention of continuing on together, and then. Um, as the story goes in racing, 
you know, our sponsor, our backer, SNL, uh, decided to pull out and, and go do something else. And that's, uh, that swiped the slate clean and we we're back at ground zero again. So it's just constant setbacks like that, but, you know, kept my head down and, um, you know, thanks to Tony George at the time, vision wanted to, uh, to keep me in the series and keep me in a car. And we finished second at St. Pete. And, um, I always knew that he might not go the whole season because it was, it was kind of a, we were piecing it together bit by bit, but, um, you know, when Vitor Mira got injured at, at the Indy 500, uh, AJ called me right up and said, Hey, can you get in here and do this? And I said, Hey, I'd love to drive for AJ Foyt. Absolutely. I'm there. Uh, and that was a great experience as well. What was it like driving for AJ Foyt back then? He was more involved with the day-to-day duties of the team today. He has turned much of that over to his son, Larry. What do you remember about AJ Foyt that season? Oh, he was very involved. He was on the pit stand. He was like basically my engineer. He would, he would come down, he would come down off the pit stand and, and, and go turn, you know, change the front wing and tell the team, you know, change this, change that. And I'd ask him, you know, well, what'd you do? And he said, he said, you tell me what I did when you come back in. Uh, so I had, I had no idea at times. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, it learned a lot from him. I got to spend a lot of time with him and he's just such a great person. Uh, you know, when my mom was, dying of cancer that she was going to have to basically spend the last weeks, months of her life in, uh, in a hospital. And, um, AJ said, no way I'm sending my jet and she's going to go home and, and be with, be with her family and be with you, Ryan. And I, I'm just forever grateful for that. Um, he did not have to do that. And, uh, just such a great person. And I've got a lot of respect for him and everything that he stands for and everything he's done. For those people who don't know A.J. Foyt like you and I do, they see the bluster, the temper, the man who took a hammer to work on his car when he was a driver or got into a scuffle with Ari Leyendyke in Victory Lane at Texas in 1997. But we have seen the other side of him, the funny side and the caring side. He has some great stories. To have a chance to hear Foyt talk is like listening to Babe Ruth talk about his baseball career. Is that the side that people really have no idea what A.J. Foyt is really like. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's like you said, if you haven't been close to him, you haven't been around him enough, you wouldn't know about it. I mean, he's not that type of person to just, um, you know, be outlandish like that in public or anything. But, yeah, he's got, he has the best stories and the best experiences. And every, you know that every one of them that you hear is just pure gold. Like, he, the guy's been through absolutely everything. And um, he's uh, definitely one of the most talented drivers to ever sit in a race car. So. Uh, yeah, like I said, those those times with him, I am so grateful for. And, uh, you know, definitely I learned a lot from them as well. You must have done something right in the 2009 season because the next year you got a ride at Andretti Autosport with IZOD as your sponsor in 2010. You won the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, which many drivers consider the second biggest race in IndyCar. It was also special for many reasons because it was the site where years earlier you had met your wife, Becky. Yeah, we started out the season with only three race deal, basically with, with, with Michael, with Andretti Autosport. First year for Michael as sole owner of the team. And uh, we finished second at Sao Paulo and we finished uh, first at Long Beach. And um, that really solidified with IZOD backing that solidified the rest of the season for us. So again, it was going to be another kind of piece it together deal. Um, and we came through. So yeah, absolutely. I met my, I met my wife at Long Beach back in 04. So that, that was previous in the timeline, but that, that Long Beach win was one of the biggest wins in my career for many reasons. Um, and, and started my, 
my tenure at Andretti Autosport. Long Beach was also your first win since your mother's passing. How special was that day? Yeah, very special day. Um, you know, dedicated the race to her, to my mother. Um, but yeah, it was just so important for so many reasons. Um, and, and that one really, like I said, it, it solidified my, my, my position in the team at Andretti Autosport and I've been there ever since. So, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely a pivotal few weeks, uh, in my career with Sao Paulo and then going to Long Beach winning. Everything seemed to be in place in 2011 as DHL became your sponsor, but the team did not get off to a very good start, and the team had to pull some strings to get you into the Indianapolis 500 with A.J. Foyt Racing after you didn't make the field. How frustrating was that, especially when you had this new sponsor with with DHL, which since that time has been a great partner with IndyCar, but at that time it was a new sponsor and there was a lot riding with getting into the Indy 500 that year for Andretti Autosport and DHL. How pivotal was that? Yeah, that was very strange. I mean, uh, even my teammates, my Andretti teammates who had been there never seen anything like that. Um, they kind of took a, a new approach to, 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 to Indy and, yeah, let's just say it, it didn't pan out. And it didn't help that we never went back out to qualify. We did one attempt, and it was just – and that's how India will bite you, you know, just um, not being on the offense, trying trying to just be um, defensive and, um, yeah, bit us for sure. And, and, yeah, one of those indie memories that I'd like to forget, no doubt. The saving grace is Andretti Autosport and A.J. Foyt were able to strike a deal, and Foyt was able to step in and help you out. You were able to drive one of A.J. Foyt's cars in the Indianapolis 500 with DHL decals on the car. I've heard you say many times, if that had not happened, you may not have remained at Andretti Autosport or DHL may not have continued in IndyCar. How important was that? Yeah, maybe not. And that, that was obviously business decisions being made behind closed doors that I was not a part of. I was getting ready to head home, and uh, they said, hey, turn back around, come to the track. We've got a situation we're working on. Uh, well, what do you mean? And, uh, yeah, next thing you know, uh, driving an A.J. Foy car for the 500. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it could be that. You know, that's how important the 500 is for these for these uh, partners, for these corporations that, are, that invest so much money. They go a full-season budget to really try and, you know, have a good shot at the 500. And um, you miss out on that. That's, that's, that could be the dagger in the heart. Definitely something we learned from. And we went out later that year in New Hampshire and won, won there. And, um, you know, 2012 was one of the best full season I've ever had. And uh, so things were on the up. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. 
When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. For all the frustration you had in 2011, in 2012, it was the exact opposite. It's really when Captain America took flight. You won four races and battled with willpower all the way to the closing laps of the last race of the season at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. But you had to really fight for it. Power crashed early in the race, but his Team Penske crew repaired the car and got back out in the race. At the end, you still had to finish in the top five in order to claim the championship. In fact, if one of the drivers you were racing at that time had passed you at the end, you wouldn't have won the championship. How dramatic was that? Yeah, we only won it by three points, I believe, and it came down to Sato, fighting Sato at the end and fighting Elio at the end. And it, Yeah, like you said, um, I had to hang on to those last two spots. I think I, was, I finished fourth or fifth, and it was, it was crucial. Every spot, every foot on that racetrack for 500 miles was absolutely crucial, and, and you know, we pulled it off. And I believe we could prior to the race, and I think the, the championship was really won at Baltimore. Um, you know, when we, uh, the, the, how hard we fought there to win that race, that, that really put us back in the fight. The 2012 season began a streak of multiple win seasons for you with four wins in 2012, two wins in 2013, three in 2014, and including the Indianapolis 500 and two in 2015, you and Andretti Autosport were both at the top of your game. How special was that time period? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, those are, those are career defining moments and the group of people that I did it with, the whole thing, that, 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 and how we won them. That's the biggest thing, how we, we, we persevered and, and how we were just relentless about going about uh, winning those the, the championship and the 500 um, is basically kind of a microcosm of how my career's gone. So very proud of, of not only the path we took to get there, but the achievements themselves. Unfortunately, in 2016, it started a drought in your career with no victories in 2016 and 2017. But having covered all of your races, I will testify that during those two years, you had the car to beat in the Indianapolis 500 both years. You were in the lead running away from the field before issues happened, including contact with your teammate Townsend Bell leaving the pits in 2016 and an engine failure while leading the race on lap 136 in 2017. The results don't show the true measure of your racing during those seasons. What do you recall about that? Yeah, 16 is the biggest fish that got away. 17 probably follows that up. But 16 was, I knew we had the car to win it. It was our race to lose. And, you know, we got taken out in pit lane by just a ridiculous set of circumstances. But um, that was that was absolutely our race to lose. And I, I had the same feeling in 16 that I did 14, about a quarter of the way into the race. I said, all right, this is the car that could win this race. Now we just have to 
we have to execute. We got to make that happen. I, I knew that was the case. And uh, yeah, but that's indie. I mean, everything has to be perfect. Pit lane, strategy on track, decisions being made on and off the track that way. So, uh, yep, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a big one that got away. You won two races in 2018, but since that season, you haven't been able to find victory lane. I know how competitive and how determined you are, and I know how frustrated you are, but what do you see as the reason for the lack of results beginning with a winless 2019 season? You know, it's just been, uh, you got to be, you gotta, everything's got to be exactly right on every given weekend. We're just, um, you know, we, we've come close in a few areas, um, you know, and we, we, we've just not been able for one reason or another not been able to do that um you know it's and it's been not just the 28 it's been through the team i mean uh rossi i think but he hasn't won in like 40 races and i haven't won in 30 races um so it's (laughs) this is the only reason why we're doing this is to win races so we're 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 not happy about that obviously colton's had uh had some hits and um made it work but um as a whole yeah needs to uh needs to improve has it been an engineering issue with the car or the car itself other than colton herta being seventh in points we all expected him to be much higher in the standings with six races to go it seems like it has been an across the board issue with all of the cars at andretti autosport this year what do you think the issue is you know sometimes you just have that environment that's that environment that's firing that's clicking that's that's going on all cylinders and uh you know, for whatever reason, we haven't found that stride. Um, and most of the team hasn't. So, uh, trust me, we're working on it and yeah, it's been frustrating, but we keep our head down every weekend, every weekend's a new opportunity. And we try and make sure that, uh, we're, we're getting everything possibly done that we can to write that. Despite the lack of results recently, you remain very popular among your peers and fans. What is the reason for that tremendous respect many have for you? I, well, thank you. I mean, I'm not sure. It's just, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've been around doing this for a while and obviously everybody knows that I've got a lot of fight in me and, um, you know, and I think I give back in many ways and, um, you know, it's, um, every different driver has their, has their, their strengths, their weaknesses, the things you like about them, the things you don't. And that's, what's beautiful about the IndyCar series. It's got a lot of different personalities and characters to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think over the years, I've, I've, I've kind of cornered my, my section of that. How have you changed over the course of your career? I'm not sure. I mean, I think in, you know, in the early days, I, I, early, early days, I'd make, um, you know, I'd make some really risky moves and not really think about the other side of it or the outcome. And now things are more calculated as you get with more experience and more knowledge, um, you know, over the years, but not a whole lot. Same, uh, same kind of approach still has the same hunger. And I, I've always known that I, you know, I had to fight incredibly hard for my career, um, over the years, every time I'd, I'd get three steps forward, it would be two steps back. And that made me the driver. I am the person that I am even off the racetrack today. So wouldn't, wouldn't have done it a different way. Along with Scott Dixon, you were one of the elder statesmen in the series. Do you believe that you are often a voice of the paddock when something needs to be addressed with IndyCar? Yeah, when I feel like something needs to be said or something needs to be addressed, for sure. I mean, we have a pretty good system now. Uh, James Hinchcliffe has kind of been been heading that up, you know, on the side of, you know, as a group, we need to get together and have, have one spokesperson. You can't have 15 drivers going to uh, IndyCar management requesting 15 different things. So we, we've streamlined that process a bit. 
Where do things stand for next season? With six races to go, you are focused on winning races, but could there be some major changes in store for next season? Well, I mean, you know, like I said, things have not been 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 good as a whole, or things have not been as strong as we need them to be as a whole. And we're here to win races. You know, that's the only thing we're here to do. Um, and like Michael said, I agree. There needs to be a, a, a change up, a mix up. I've been at, I've been with the team for 12 years now. Um, and I think that sometimes even, you know, a shakeup, a fresh start does, does really well for all types of sports. So, um, I'm in agreement with them there, but no, when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm working just week in and week out trying to win races and haven't really got there to where, where does this stand or where does that stand? And, um, I definitely know that I have wins left in me, especially Indy 500 wins. And, and that's something that I'm, I've, I will be focused on, but right now I'm focused on Nashville and, uh, all the other stuff is noise at the moment. Speaking of Nashville, that's the next race on the schedule. The big machine music city grand prix on August 8th. Part of the course will be over the Korean war veterans bridge. When you first discovered that, did you think someone had handed you an old script to the movie Driven? Yeah, I couldn't believe the layout when I first saw it. You know, you're going over a bridge and it's like, okay, that's that's interesting. That's that's fairly new. I mean, we go over bridges at Detroit, but they're about uh, 15 feet long and they're over a you know three foot deep creek. But um, yeah, this is this is definitely different. So it'll be interesting to see what they have. I'm looking forward to the race. I mean, everybody's very interested in going to this one, so I think the turnout's going to be incredible. Does this have all the potential of being the next uh, St. Pete Grand Prix or the next Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach? We'll see. Uh, definitely the location, the atmosphere, the fan response does. But what makes those races is executing as a really great race event, a, a, you know, a sustainable racetrack. I mean, Baltimore was a great race. I thought that was a phenomenal turnout, great uh, layout, and it didn't work because, I don't know, I, I heard that it was too difficult to get the – union to pass this permit for this concrete here. And, you know, if you have all these things that are just constantly, you're banging your head against the wall, that's when a, that's when an event does not work. So a lot has to come together for a street course to not only work in year one, but become a mainstay on the schedule. In addition to being one of the best IndyCar drivers of this generation, you are also a devoted family man to your wife, Becky, and your sons. In the past, you have said you would rather buy your sons golf clubs instead of go-karts for fear that they might follow your career path. As a father, what is your outlook on what they may do when they get older? I'm not really sure. You know, one thing I don't look, I don't look forward to about it is it's going to, you know, it's going to be extremely expensive, not the same, same type of carding that I had when I was coming up, you know, it was just, you know, my dad, myself showing up at a racetrack with a little trailer and going at it. Um, it's a lot different now, you know, you have to get your, your kid in a team to be competitive. And, um, there's just a lot at, at, that landscape has changed immensely, but we're going karting next, you know, this coming Tuesday before Nashville. Um, you know, the great thing is I get to get out there. I get a great workout in. My kids get to get out and get practice. And that's all we're doing right now is we're just, we're having fun as a family and we're getting more and more miles under their belts and we'll see where it goes. You know, if they get to the point, if, if they're to the point where they're constantly begging me to go, you know, I'll take them and we'll see where it goes. But, um, right now, you know, for example, they're in hockey camp. We want to let them, feel everything out and see what they want and whatever they want uh, and they're passionate about, we'll support. 
Captain America still has a few super heroics left in him. Ryan Hunter Ray, winner of the 2014 Indianapolis 500 and the 2012 NTT IndyCar Series Championship. Congratulations on a great career. Good luck next weekend at Nashville. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. All right. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. The series cranks back up this weekend in the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville. Two-time winner Alex Palou of Spain leads two-time winner Pato Award of Mexico by 39 points. Six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Scott Dixon of New Zealand is third in points, 56 out of the lead. Mid-Ohio race winner Joseph Newgarden is fourth, 69 points behind the leader. Marcus Erickson of Sweden is fifth. 104 points out of first, Simon Pagano sixth, 113 points back, and Colton Herta is seventh, 124 points out of the lead. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank 2014 Indianapolis 500 winner and 2012 NTT IndyCar Series champion Ryan Hunter Ray of Andretti Autosport for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M underscore 500 this has been a production of evergreen podcast a special thanks to our production team executive producers are bridget coin and gerardo orlando recordings and edits were done by me bruce martin and final mixing was done by dave douglas learn more at evergreenpodcast.com until next time be sure to keep it out of the wall